1: Hello and welcome to the McLifford podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now, on Monday, as many of you will know, Jerry the Monk Hutch walked free from the Special Criminal Court after being found not guilty of what has come to be known as the Regency Hotel murder. This was the attack in February 2016 at a boxing weigh in in the North Dublin Hotel, in which Daniel Kinahan, reputed to be the head of the Kinnahan Crime Cartel, was the target. At least five, I think six actually individuals, one of whom was dressed as a woman, another identified as the now deceased Kevin Flatcap Murray, were involved in this gun attack on the venue. Three of those were dressed in SWAT team type gear and wielding AK-47s, obviously in a sort of an attempt to disguise themselves as Gardaí of one sort or another. The case against Gerry Hutch was based on him being one of these three gunmen. Now, the three judge court didn't buy it and he walked. Two other accused were convicted of assisting in the murder through providing and driving getaway vehicles and they are to be sentenced later. So far, there has been no successful prosecution for murder for that attack in broad daylight and I think it's fair to say it was one which shocked the nation. Questions immediately arise as to why and how the case was taken against Hutch. Should he ever have been charged and extradited from Spain as he was 18 months ago? Should a case have revolved around the chief prosecution witness, Jonathan Dowdall, who turned state's evidence after initially being charged with the murder himself and whose character was eviscerated in the witness box? And what does the whole episode say about the judgment and competence? In the Gardee and the DPP's office. Apart from any of that, how does this case feed into the ongoing debate around whether or not the special crim, as it's known, should be a component in the criminal justice system? Joining me to discuss all this is the Irish Examiner reporter Sean Murray, who's reporting on the trial and verdict in aftermath, I have to say, in my opinion, was top class. Sean, you're very welcome. Thanks very much, Mike. Sean, first of all, the verdict. Were you surprised? So I'd say yes
0: and no to being surprised as to the verdict. I mean, in a sense, there's always such a high conviction rate in the special criminal court that in some of these cases, you think that, okay, yes, the, the, the outcome will be that the accused is found guilty. But when you look at the actual evidence that the state had against Jerry Hutch in this case, and when the judge spelled it out so forensically and so clearly in the verdict... Um, and the judges are to be commended for, for the job they did, I think, in, in how in how comprehensive they were, especially in terms of Jonathan Dowdle. I think when you when you heard all the evidence spelled out, there was no verdict they could reach other than not guilty for Jerry Hutch.
1: Okay Sean and Look, I spent a long number of years down the courts myself, I haven't for a while now, I have to say, but um, one thing that often struck me, particularly in long cases as this one was, is that sometimes when you're covering it on a daily basis inside the court, you very much get a different impression than that which just purely for the for the sake of space and what have you can be conveyed in daily reports, be it in newspapers or broadcast. And you know, and then you're 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 not that surprised at an outcome. Eventually. I mean, as the trial was going on, Sean, were you at any stage kind of surprised at the, the way it was going? Yeah, I think
0: the very first day was a real surprise because we knew that Jerry Hutch had been accused of murder. But obviously, um, m- murder can take a few different forms where someone can be accused of it in the courts. It could be directing the murder, it could be orchestrating the murder, maybe ordering it from afar. I think one of the big surprises came on the very first day when we heard it was the prosecution's case that Jerry Hutch himself was one of the shooters, was one of the hit men, as you described at the start, one of the men um, who was uh, dressed up in that guarded tactical gear who who raided Regency that day. And like if we go from day one, when we hear that, to day two, when they played that really shocking, awful CCTV of, of the murder being carried out, it 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 it's, it's a it's a was a really harrowing watch, and um, the judge had kind of said people might want to leave the court for that. Um, we were watching uh, these men uh, jump around. We were watching them run around the Regency that day, and even from a very early stage, we, like I'm watching this on the screen, and then I'm also looking at Jerry Hutch uh, to my left in the courtroom, and even the, the the build, the shape of the men, it didn't seem to. To tally. Obviously, it's very hard to tell with these things, but even then from the very start, it seemed, it seemed like the, the state would have a big ask to try and convince the the court that that Jerry Hush was one of these men.
1: Yeah, and that's a crucial thing, I think, Sean. As well, I, I thought the same thing. Well, on, on a couple of levels. First of all, <laughs> sorry now for digressing and, and a small bit of levity, but as a man in my 50s, uh, I, I thought and when I heard the judge saying about uh, Jerry Hutch was also in his 50s, he's hitting 60 now, I think, you know, that he wouldn't have been as nimble there. Well, you know, we're not all that falling apart. But anyway, sorry, on a serious note, the the thing about that that really struck me was it's seven years now since the actual event. And those of us who who were sort of some way clued into the way things progressed, I always had the impression that there was a general feeling that if Hutch was involved, it would have been at the planning stage for a couple of reasons. One, because he, in, in terms of his criminal career, and it's been well documented, he was known to be a meticulous planner and to be really uh, bright and and very capable of planning something. And this was a, an amazingly planned, shockingly planned. Sorry, I mean it was horrendous. They're going to kill someone, but in the detail, it was done. And also that, you know, he'd be a a mastermind to the extent that he wouldn't have been one of the gunmen. And then, as you say, it emerges that the case is that he is. And as far as I can see, the only reason that was the case that the prosecution were pursuing was because of this central element to it, which was this alleged conversation between himself and Jonathan Dowdall, in which Dowdall says... Hutch told me he was one of the gunmen.
0: I think that's exactly where the majority of questions that people will have now that this case is over stems from. How was the decision made to, one, accept Dowdle's story about this park meeting? Now, as, as you described, Jerry Hutch, there, a meticulous planner, um, he's uh, known as being very careful, very closed off. But it was Jonathan Dowdle's case that just a few days after the Regency, Jerry Hutch rings him up meets him in a park, and confesses, essentially, to having committed this murder. So at what stage? Because we know that Jonathan Dowdle was also going to be sitting in the dock next to Hutch, also accused of the murder of David Bourne. And so we know that he essentially came forward to Gardee, said he had information, he could finger Jerry Hutch for the murder. So this went on for several months before the case actually got underway, so I think that central question then becomes how and why was the decision made where one, we'd believe Jonathan Dowdle and accept his testimony and two, have that case that Hutch was the shooter. Because uh, as Miss Justice Tara Bourne said in her judgment, one wonders what the case would have been without Jonathan Dowdle. If, if Jonathan Dowdle had never came along, would the, would the Gardaí and the DPP still have maintained that Hutch was one of the shooters? And obviously that's a question we don't know the answer to and we, we may never know the answer to. But I think that's one of the questions that people are going to ask in the wake
1: of this. Yeah, exactly. And I think that is central. And just two elements that strike me about that is the main plank, as far as I can see, and correct me if I'm wrong in this, Sean, prior to Dowdall turning state's witness, the main plank of the prosecution case was the secretly recorded data a bug in the car, I think it was in Dowdall's car, Dowdall and Hutch drove up to the north to meet these dissident Republicans to see if they could intervene in, in, in the feud that was going on between Hutch and Kinnan, et cetera, in, in the aftermath of this thing. That the main plank was that long tape conversation of that journey. I think it might have been up to 10 hours. And, and Two things about that. One, Hutch, nowhere on that tape, admitted to being involved, whether it be as a shooter, as a planner, having organised it, anything, he made no admission on that tape. So one has to wonder straight away if this was the main thrust before Dowdall came along. Surely it was very weak. And secondly, Dowdall's contention that a few days before this, at that alleged meeting that occurred in Whitehall in North Dublin, Hutch had explicitly said to him he'd been a shooter, yet in this 10 hours or whatever of conversation, there's just the two of them in the car. Nowhere does Hutch say anything to that effect.
0: Yeah, and uh, like uh, I, I think we spoke about the tapes uh, before, um, the last time I was on. It's it's really striking when you're listening to it. It's, it's Jonathan Dowdle who was doing the majority of the talking on that tape. Hutch is very uh, guarded um, when... Uh, when uh, Jonathan Dowdle asks him his opinion on several occasions, he gives quite non-committal answers. He doesn't. He doesn't kind of show his cards, as it were. And Jonathan Dowdle is talking about all manner of things on the tape. He's talking about um, potentially bomb making. He's talking about specific people on the Kinnahan side who they could target. Um, he's talking about various things and his Republican contacts. And he, he uh, at, at certain points, he's quite disparaging about those contacts. Obviously, not believing that he's being recorded. Um, and what Brendan Gretton, who was Hutch's defence barrister, what he was very clear about in his um, in his submissions to the court was that he would challenge anyone to listen to those ten odd hours of tapes and come to the conclusion that Hutch was uh, admitting to being one of the the shooters in the Regency. That the prosecution said there are tacit admissions, but that they were quite tenuous. One, one could argue, and then. That was the kind of the opinion that the judges uh, came to in their judgment. Um, one of the comments from uh, Tara Bournes was that if Jerry Hutch had already told Dowdle that he was the shooter, his comments would be odd because he's making reference to the people who committed the Regency not knowing each other and not knowing who the others are. If he had been one of those men, would he have been making different comments? And the judge obviously obviously came to came to that conclusion.
1: Yeah, and the other interesting thing then about those tapes and the centrality of them to to the whole case is that, and and I think Judge Tara Burns referenced this in her judgment. You know, a case could have been made; wouldn't necessarily have reached the threshold of of, of a, a guilty verdict, but a case could have been made from those tapes that Jerry Hutch at the very least had knowledge of the three AK forty seven assault weapons that had been used and possibly had control of them, and therefore, was there the possibility, and you could, I know it's easy in retrospect, but from here it certainly seems like a far greater possibility of pursuing a prosecution on that basis rather than on the basis of the murder itself.
0: Yeah, I believe there are several references on the tape to uh, what they call them, the three yokes, which in context seem to very clearly be referring to To those AK 47s that were used in the Regency. There's talk about um, the, as a kind of olive branch to the Republicans to help, to get them to help broker a peace with the Canaan's. They were going to give them these three yokes. There's talk about linking the three yokes back to the Regency on that tape. And so what Miss Justice Borens kind of came down on, she said, it's clear that at least on this date, which was the 7th of March 2016, a month after the Regency. At least on this date, Jared uh, Hutch had knowledge of, of those guns and where they were. And he was saying on the tape, he was making a declaration that he was going give to them, give them to to these Republicans. And uh, as we know, two days later, uh, a man named Shane Rowan was stopped with those guns uh, in his car in Slane. And he was jailed uh, subsequently both for possession of those guns and for IRA membership. So the 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 fate of the guns, the path of the guns were, were was very clear. We we saw a plethora of CCTV from the day the guns were seized of the switch over the handover as it were. We don't see the actual handover, but we see Rowan coming to an industrial estate. We see Jared Hutch's um brother Patsy Hutch in in, in a car in that same industrial estate and then later on that day Rowan is is seized with the guns. So I think as you say the the murder charge was brought against Jerry Hutch but we have no way of knowing what would have happened if if potentially other charges were brought against him um including uh, on those guns
1: yeah that, uh, that is something of a mystery and i don't know if we're ever going to get an official response because the dpps well, for, for good reasons the dpp doesn't give explanations of why particular cases were not pursued but you'd have to wonder in, in terms of that why something wasn't in that respect. One other thing there, Sean, that arose in um, the, the judgment read out by Judge Tara Burns. She introduced, and I thought this was an unusual thing to do uh, in, in a judgment, notwithstanding, it's highly unusual for a written judgment in a criminal trial, and the only reason we're getting it here is because it's the special crime where you don't have a jury. But she introduced the possibility that Patsy Hutch... Jerry Hutch's brother may have been behind the whole thing.
0: Yeah, that was a like a really surprising uh,
1: um, inclusion.
0: I, I I felt by the judge towards the end of her judgment, um, it was kind of clear at that stage that Hutch would like likely be found not guilty based on the contents of what she was saying. Um, and she was she was talking about the existence of of the Hutch gang, as it were, that they're not a, a hierarchical group. Where different factions or different members of, of that family, or who are who have links to criminality, might act independently. And she said that on the evidence presented to court, it, you could make a you could make a case, you could make an inference that it may have been Patsy Hutch. And we know Patsy Hutch's um, his son uh, Gary Hutch was killed um, uh, allegedly by the Kinahans just a few months before the Regency Hotel shooting. It was Patsy Hutch, who was um, a close personal friend of Jonathan Dowdle, who, uh, by Dowdle's uh, allegation, asked him initially to make contact with the Republicans up north. Um, And as I said to you before, it's Patsy Hutch who we see on the day in that industrial estate when the the guns change hands um, by the prosecution's case. So, he was uh, a person who we heard a lot of and who we saw a lot of in the trial. And the judge was quite clear that she felt that the beyond reasonable doubt that the Regency hotel attack was carried out by what she termed the Hutch criminal organization. Um, as to the identity of, of the people who ordered it or the people who took those shots, that's something that we still don't know.
1: Yeah, it is interesting, all right, the whole thing um, from that perspective. And uh, as I say, unusual that a judge would go that far, but I uh, have to say, as you said yourself, it's a pretty meticulous um, written judgment.
0: To know what's really happening, subscribe to the Irish Examiner today at irishexaminer.com forward slash subscribe.
1: Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. uh we've the scenario and a highly unusual scenario again i think uh in that obviously jerry hutch is is deemed um is set free because he's he's found not guilty and normally in situations like this we've often seen this on on uh tv pictures and what have you the uh the, the freed person will come out of the court there is a taxi waiting there literally yards away it's the quick walk under siege effectively from cameras and reporters into the taxi and off but that didn't happen on this occasion I think it was it was chaos on all sides I think when the the, the verdict obviously it took
0: so long to deliver we were nearly four hours sitting there listening to, to Judge Tara Bournes and then all of a sudden it was not guilty and like having spelt out at all we, 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 we had maybe expected it to go on even slightly longer given we were already there that long and like on the journalist benches straight away. We were like, okay, is he going to come out the front door? Is he going to come out a side door? Is he going to be driven away by um, it was There was kind of confusion reigning. And so we all kind of gathered outside. And, and lo and behold, here we see this figure that I, I assume everyone will have seen in their newspapers of, of the long hair, of the big beard. And he walks out and he He walks down the steps. It it feels like he's walking with porpoise, but then he turns up. Um, If people know that area of Dublin, he turns up uh, Infirmary Road. Um, He stops. He turns back. He's being followed all this time by journalists uh, in this kind of crazy melee. Um, He's being accompanied by an individual what I'm not sure was even known to him (laughs) as as he's walking up and down. Um, His solicitor is kind of standing just behind him i think trying to arrange a taxi this goes on for maybe 5 10 minutes before a uh, a taxi uh, driver agrees to stop and he hops in and drives off and there were some comments from well wishers as well uh, yeah there were there were, there were there were people there i don't know if they had planned to to be there in advance or they had just been passing but there were comments like good on you jerry uh, free jerry he's a free man let him walk um great to see you uh, kind of kind of stuff coming from from passers-by and people, people who were standing there, um, I, I feel like because he's such a well-known figure uh, in certain parts of Dublin's North Inner City, there might be a, a certain uh, section of the populace who would have goodwill towards him, and I, see, I seem like that that kind of played out um, in, in the chaos as journalists were trying to trying to get him to say a few words outside
1: the court. No, just on that note, Sean, and it does strike me like let's be straight up about this: Jerry Hutch, to the best of what we know certainly has a record and you can even go back twenty thirty years, not necessarily yesterday or, or, or any long time apart from whether or not he had an involvement in this issue it was, it was a long time before that of being a dangerous criminal uh The, the various crimes he's alleged to be involved in are all very serious. they all have victims, they're not victimless crimes. He made a very substantial settlement with the criminal assets Bureau, I think it was over a million euro so there's there's no doubt about his background and the type of individual he is, notwithstanding that. I got the impression and you mentioned the North Inner City where he's from and and it would be understandable on one level that people there would have some kinship with him. But I got the impression and I'd be interested in your opinion that there was a certain sympathy that one would not normally expect towards anybody with his kind of background in relation to him uh, during this case and perhaps afterwards. Now Personally, I put a small bit of that down to people's sense of natural justice in that even people said to me, Is that all they've got the fella? And it's nearly as if irrespective of who he was, nobody should be railroaded into a prosecution. I don't know. What's your impression of that? I think it's a couple of things, and I think I think that's a good point that you raise, actually. I I I think
0: it's I think there's a couple of things there. I think there's this kind of perception, uh, notwithstanding the, the the crimes that you you say he 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 committed and he was found guilty of uh, and, and all the rest. But there's this perception of him as a kind of older criminal, a kind of gentleman criminal who uh, ha- like played by a certain old school of rules. Maybe like I, I remember hearing on the tape where he he's talking about um, young people uh, causing hassle to families in the North Inner City and how he would like to step in and stop that if he could and try and kind of. Have have that kind of justice meted out to people who who harm working families, and I feel like there's that kind of um that kind of perception attached to him. And I, I I think the second one is the key one, and we might talk about it a bit more. Um, just the fact that the main allegations coming against him came from Jonathan Dowdle, who should have been well, may have been in a, in a, in a different circumstances, sitting in the dock next to him, also charged with murder, who at a very late stage came to the court with this. With this story, that I think that many people, when they heard it, wouldn't have found believable with what they know about Jerry Hutch. Like he, he's seen as very clever, very meticulous, and not the kind of person who would meet someone who he's not even that good friends with in a park and confess to murder. I think, I think those, those two things—the the perception of Hutch and also the perception of Dowdle trying to essentially save his skin—I think that made people. More predisposed to Hutch in this case,
1: yeah, that's a very good point, and 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 just the whole persona, doubt all his story, as you said, but his persona, the way he came across. I mean, we're talking about someone who was going at one stage, it would seem, to some extent at least, Sinn Fein had him earmarked for advancement. He he was elected to the council, um, and, and you know he had that persona of something of being a, of a self-made businessman. He in an electrical business, and uh, then we see what's going on behind the scenes in terms of this waterboarding, in terms of certain allegations that he may or may not have been involved in firing shots at a relative's house with whom he fell out. And then ultimately, this thing of, and I think it was only weeks before the trial was due to start, he suddenly decides to hell with it. He's leaving behind his community, his lifelong uh, associations with the hutches. And he's going to turn state's witness, and the the, the the and on top of all that, then the tenor of his evidence, as you said, being pretty unbelievable.
0: Yeah, I think I I think like the the we in this trial we saw the many faces of Jonathan Dowdle. Like as you said, there he had an electrician's company. He. Um, might have had this perception of giving young fellas in the inner city a chance, giving them an apprenticeship, trying to get them some work where otherwise they might have fallen into, into maybe um, bad areas, shall we say. He had he was um, obviously uh, enlisted as a, as a Sinn Féin councillor, he was an elected official. So all of that on paper seems like a, a kind of stand up member of the community. But then, as you say, in the background, we had someone who, who waterboarded a man who he felt w- was conning him. We had someone who on those tapes with Jared Hutch said all manner of things um, to do with, as, as we said before, uh, potential people to assassinate, people uh, talking about making bombs. It, it, and that's something that Miss Justice Bourne's really kind of pulled at in her judgment. She was saying, how, how can I square the different versions of Jonathan Dowdle? I'm being asked to believe him sitting up here on the stand when I can hear him saying all manner of awful things on those tapes. Where I know the kind of activities he was involved in, um, like there, there was one particular uh, one that she highlighted. Where so we're talking now. Let's wind it back to May 2016. This is the first time that Dowdle was arrested over anything to do with all of this. He didn't know that the guards had the tapes. He didn't know the length and breadth of what the guards had, and he proceeded to tell lies basically about everything that he knew. Uh, about the Regency and about the hutches, um by his own account, he said oh i i i didn't want to i felt like I wasn't in a position to to talk about what I knew, but then uh, miss Justice Bourne said like what 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 these lies that he's telling here which how can how can I believe him now? how can I believe when I know what kind of character he is, maybe behind closed doors um so I think that really stood against him. She said that when Someone is coming in here to give evidence. I would expect to hear the full story, warts and all. But apart from that story fingering Jerry Hutch, he was very unwilling to answer questions about his links to the IRA, his links to the the incident we were talking with the waterboarding. There was one infamous incident where he um, went on the Joe Duffy show after his... Um, after his house was raided by Gardaí and he told, obviously, um, untruths there as well about involvement and in criminality. So add all of that together. Um, and it, it added up to a person that the court just couldn't take their word on. There was one very simple one and I think we mentioned it before as well, where he was visiting Pierce McCauley in prison. And obviously people would be, might be familiar with that name, the,
1: the ex-IRA ex man. He was, I suppose just to, just to point out to people, Sean, McAuley was one of those convicted ultimately of manslaughter and there's an issue there on the Special Criminal Court but ultimately manslaughter of Garda Jerry McCabe in Limerick in 1996 and he spent, I think he was sentenced, over 10 years in prison. After getting out of prison, he was subsequently convicted of a vicious assault on his wife who's who's now uh, Sinn Féin TD and I think he's actually still in prison and during the trial it emerged that uh, Dowdall had I don't know was there over a dozen visits with him in a very short period of time when he was in um, in Castlery prison
0: Yeah exactly you've you hit the nail on the head there like Dowdall was asked a very simple question and um, between uh, this date in 2015, and I think it might have been later on that year, or maybe into 2016, how many times did you go see Pierce Macaulay in prison? And his answer was maybe two or three. And then a prison log, uh, a visitor's log, was produced to show that he had visited over a dozen times. And it was it was that kind of that kind of like untruth that was very easily called out. That was one of those factors that Miss Justice Bourne's really said, "Here, look, like the." the it, it, it. He's being asked very simple questions, and the answers being given aren't truthful, aren't the case. So it, it, it all added up to uh, an account that that couldn't be taken, um, couldn't be believed uh, in a matter as serious as as a murder trial.
1: Yeah, and that whole Macaulay connection. Macaulay was in prison for a lot of the time that Dowdall was even an adult. I'd say, and you'd have to mm. wonder how those kind of uh, connections were forged. Yep. And the other thing it was mentioned that Dodal may well have been an IRA member. Now, was there any specification as to whether this was a reference to the provisional IRA as we know it, which was associated with Sinn Féin, or the uh, dissident IRA, which of course is not in any way associated with Sinn Féin, was there any indication of, of which of those the judge might have been referring to?
0: I think, I think the 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 various different factions where that could, that 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 term could um lend itself to or could be implicated in were used interchangeably. I right. think during the court proceedings, which 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 wasn't very helpful. I think at times um in in the opening statement from the prosecuting judge Sean Galan, he referenced provisional Republicans. Um, now when it came to when it came to Dowdle himself, his own testimony, he was clear that it wasn't provisionals. He was talking to dissidents. Um, of, of, of various hues, and it, 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 it was actually uh, Macaulay uh, in, in Dowdle's case who put him on to some of these Republican contacts who Dowdle ultimately ended up meeting up north with Gerry Hutch. Um, there was obviously the allegation that, that Dowdle was a member uh, of the IRA that, that wasn't um, proven in court. That wasn't clarified in any way um, for the court. And I feel like I feel like again we're talking about questions to ask afterwards. We wonder what to what extent Dowdall's um, IRA links how, to how far they how far they reach, as it were. And I feel like that like, now that we he's going into witness protection, I feel like that may be a question we we don't get an answer to.
1: Yeah, and there's obviously questions there for Sinn Fein as well about how they vetted him and what knowledge they had of him and what organisations he may have been a member of. But leaving that aside, I mean, on, on a human level, Sean, you just look at Dowdall. He made this decision to turn evidence against Hutch uh, a few months before or less, a few weeks, I think, possibly before the trial began. And <laughs> you'd have to wonder, on a human level, is it the single biggest regret in his life? Because A, on the basis of the, of the case that was there, even with his evidence, flawed, deeply flawed and all as it was, there would have been even a less case against Hutch, and presumably by extension himself, without his evidence, largely all they had was that was, was that recording of the car journey. And you could well have a scenario now, otherwise, where Dowdall would, along with his buddy, Jerry Hutch, be set free and uh, facing into, you know, a, a far more comfortable life than it looks is, is, is likely now for him.
0: I think obviously uh, hindsight will be twenty twenty for him uh, on this one. And um, just just to say, it was for it was for a number of months before the case came to right, trial sorry. that Dowdle was was re- was reaching out to Gardy. Right. So uh, I think it could well have been the case that he had um, made the decision that he was going to try and reach out to Gardy and, and 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 tell them the this evidence that he said he had uh, against Jerry Hutch. But it was interesting to note that it took quite some time for his initial contact before the decision was made to actually accept his evidence and allow him to plead guilty to that lesser charge. Um, I, I feel obviously that facing a murder charge with a mandatory life sentence is, is no joke. It's, it's, it, it, it's such a serious, serious charge to level against anybody. He had made the calculation that if I give this, give this evidence, if I give this account, I won't have to face that and maybe his family have the chance at a at a, at a better life at a different life and um, wherever they may end up obviously he's going into witness protection now and um, he's he, uh, he's a father of four i believe and um, so obviously it, it, what happens to him affects uh, a large number of people so it, it, it's a decision that he came to it's a decision he's going to have to live with and i feel like the the fallout from this trial it he comes out of this uh, to be charitable not looking
1: very well Very charitable I'd say Sean (laughs) definitely yeah Um, No, I have to say the other thing there's been a lot of controversy at various times about the Special Criminal Court Three Judge Court uh, really came into action in the 70s to try people involved in paramilitary activity mainly IRA people or or other Republican uh, associate organisations Controversial always uh, it's been used since the ending of the, of the Northern violence, uh, mainly for gangland crime. Uh, it's been extended a bit to the extent that sometimes I think there are two courts in operation, but civil liberties organisations in particular have major problems with it, and understandably so. But I think um, in some ways, was this a good day for the special crime in that there was a very robust detailed judgment and it showed... That even in a scenario whereby there was huge pressure on the system to come up with people responsible for what was a really an outrage in, in, in any kind of democratic society, despite all that, the judges came back and decided, no, this just does not reach the threshold whereby this man could be found guilty. Yeah, I, I,
0: think, I, I think it... it, it Yes, it was a good day for the Special Criminal Court in that it was given a case and it analysed the evidence and it came to a conclusion that I think uh, like if a jury had been sitting in this case, I feel like uh, nine times out of ten, that jury might have made the same decision. Um, there's a perception against the Special Criminal Court that it's it gives the Gardaí the result that they want. It gives the DPP the result that they want. Um, and obviously that, like, the... They have brought these murder charges. This isn't the result. I don't feel that the that the state will have wanted in this case. So in, in that sense, um, the judges came to a very reasoned, a very comprehensive conclusion. But I also feel that the the critics of the special criminal court, as you say, civil rights organisations and certain lawyers, they won't be uh, they won't be satisfied. I don't think it's not a thing where okay, they may may have made the right decision this time, but the the, the system itself, in, in their view. Is, is still flawed. Um, one of the main kind of reasons rolled out for why the Special Criminal Court is needed is to prevent jury tampering. And these kinds of organisations will come forward and say, OK, we're, we're in 2023 now. There are various means whereby we could protect juries um, if we we're going to use them in, in court cases as high profile as this. Um, I feel like there are certain aspects of the case where you could still... Um, highlight the the problems people have with the special criminal court. Like we had a case where that infamous tape, the ten-hour tape that we've talked about before, that was allowed into evidence, even though the judge ruled it was um, captured illegally. So there are question marks you could you could raise there. I feel like the special criminal court is it's a uh, it, it's seen as useful by the state to have to prosecute these kinds of cases but I feel like even in after the verdict on Monday we're still going to have the same people raising the same concerns and I think a case like this only heightens them and doesn't make them go away.
1: Yeah and there are reasonable concerns too there's no question about it and whereas I suppose yeah I characterise it as a good day for the special criminal court in that the, the judge gave a detailed judgement that effectively acquitted the corollary of that of course is that had he been convicted on the basis of what most people, I think, reasonably would say, it was very flimsy evidence. It would have been a pretty shocking indictment of it. So it it, 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 it swings and roundabouts, I suppose, in that respect. Finally, Sean, seven years on, no convictions. Uh, Jerry Hutch's nephew, um, Patrick Hutch, was uh, tried, and and that case collapsed. Uh, and now, not guilty verdict in this one. Is there any? significant chance that anybody will face a murder charge or will, or will the possibility of, of a, a conviction for murder from that um, that event in the Regency
0: I feel like the the, the chances of that have receded somewhat with, with, with the verdict on, on Monday like as you said at, the, at, at even the height of this um, Kevin Murray who was identified as flat cap is now deceased um, the, the case against uh, Patrick Hutch Jr. Uh, collapsed a number of years ago, as we know, and obviously the case now against Jerry Hutch ha- has has fallen for the state. I feel like seven years on for one of the most notorious murders um, in, in modern Irish history, it feels like it, uh, we're as far away from a conviction uh, as we ever have been now. Obviously, the guards will say that the investigation is ongoing. And what I would say is that... What was clear in this case is the absolute plethora of evidence gathering that went on afterwards well, was huge. The amount of CCTV, the amount of um, surveillance done by Gardy in the wake afterwards was, was, was absolutely huge. So we don't know what else they may have. We don't know if there are other people. As, as, as we mentioned earlier on, the judge raised the possibility that um, Patsy Hutch could be implicated uh, in, in the Regency uh, over Jerry. Obviously, that's just a judge's opinion that has no um, that will not uh, effectively translate into 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 something happening there. But I feel like we're as far away as we've been. If the Gardy investigation is continuing, maybe there's a chance in the future. But again, it's it's it, this week was a blow for the state in terms of this high profile murder where they weren't able to secure a conviction and where they go from here. I think I think it'll be very interesting to watch uh, at the very least.
1: It will indeed and we'll keep an eye on it and uh, as I say it's a horrendous story in that a a, a man was killed and and, and that it it effectively sparked off a further feud that ended up with a total I think about 18 people being murdered but it's definitely something we will keep an eye on Sean Murray, Portford Irish Examiner thanks very much Sean for that today and thanks very much for some great coverage from that very long trial Thanks, Mick. I'd always like to thank, as always, our engineer, J.J. Vernon. Thank you, folks, for listening. We'll be back again. We'll talk to you next week.
0: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music, where all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership.